Dungeon Scrawlers, Heroes of Undermountain, Disco Elysium, and the Call of Cthulhu starter set. This is Staying In. Do you know what I'm getting really, really bored of? Bored? Yeah, of? do you know what I'm getting really bored of? Uh, Christmas. No. No, I'm very excited for Halloween. Christmas. No, Halloween was good this year. Uh, I enjoyed Halloween, uh, even though it is slightly too spooky for me. Do you want us to keep guessing until we get it? No, it's all right. I... <laughs> I'm wearing getting... underwear. That's correct. There we go. And brushing that... my teeth. And that's why <laughs> I'm getting very bored uh. with buying a, a an apartment. I'm getting really, <laughs> really bored with it. I'm getting really bored of. Well, it's the it's the Ross and Rachel of owning property, right? <laughs> Will they? Won't they? And in the end, you know, it might be slightly disappointing. Um, but yeah, we're buying we're buying a, a flat at the moment, and it's the limbo that I can't deal with. Mm-hmm. I can't deal with uncertainty. Like they always say, human beings aren't very good with you know uncertainty, and we always want to have a little bit. You know, we want to know more than we can possibly possibly know. I'm just getting bored of being like, should I decorate like anything in in the current place that i'm in should i should i bother <laughs> i mean i've had thoughts where i'm like should i bother tidying that up i mean we might be moving soon so i could just see him now dan just like should i should i wash up like just <laughs> spilling beans onto the floor in the kitchen and going oh, i might not have to clear this right. up yeah exactly exactly <laughs> someone else's problem you, you, you walk in it's actually just like a war zone in his kitchen it's just kind of like he's just constantly buying paper plates because he's run out of other stuff i just i just sort of think to myself like you know sometimes you know I'll, maybe i'll uh i'll be you know i'll be extra careful because you obviously you, you know you want to look after all the bits and pieces at pieces in a in a rented uh, apartment you want to make sure that you keep everything nice and tidy and and, and and all that sort of stuff and every once in a while, I just think, like, does it matter if I just scuff the wall now? or Because, I mean, I'm leaving at some point soon. <laughs> I mean, you do sort of have to live there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I can deal with it for a little bit. And they come in after your deposit. No, they ain't getting that. The, uh, <laughs> they, uh, <laughs> I just, yeah, I'm bored. Of it. And, and I know, obviously, I know I'm in a deeply privileged position where I can say, yeah. I'm buying a place like deeply, deeply privileged. But it, I've got to admit, people weren't fibbing. It really is tedious and long-winded and lengthy and expensive. That's the other thing. Money has lost all meaning now. <laughs> yeah, like it. I, I, I yeah. used to like, and and I still do to some extent. When I, whenever I'd have a crisp, a crisp fiver in my pocket, I would think to my, I would think I was the richest man in the world. I would have a, a fiver. I could buy a magazine. I could, I could go and buy like four chocolate bars with that. Like I would think, wow, five pounds. I am well off. Fantastic. Now, I don't think anything about, oh, do they need to respond to an email? Well, that's just another 70 quid. Like, just for an email. It just means nothing anymore. Just think how many chocolate bars you could have got for that. I know. It boggles my mind. I love that that's your point of reference for money still. What's that? Chocolate bars? Is like, yeah, that I could, you have money. The first thought is chocolate bars. Like, you're seven years old. 
Yeah. What do you think of? What's the, What's your point of reference for money? Mm, yeah, interesting. Go for, on, Dan. For, for, for what, what quantum? Are we saying five pounds? If you've got a fiver in your pocket, what... What are you spending that on? Yeah, I'm probably, I'm probably, I'm probably thinking uh, supermarket meal deal and some extra little treats. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking, Ugh. I'm thinking a three pound meal deal. Perhaps I might throw in a sausage roll and a chocolate bar, just to mm. round it all off. Right. On top of the meal, but the meal deal comes with a snack, Dan. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, but that comes with crisps. The crisps is the snack. That's what you're obviously going to choose. You don't have to eat them all at the same time. Then a sandwich, a snack, and then a treat. As no, a, no, no, no. Three... Well, dep- obviously, I mean, some su- supermarkets may differ. Uh, the, mm. the the one I would go for is drink a sandwich and a another thing, which may well be a packet of crisps. Could be mm. a chocolate bar if you're fortunate enough. Could be some kind of savoury thing, or could be a fruit pot. This just strikes to me of that scam that I got done by by Domino's a year ago when Hugo was born. Like, that just strikes to me. It's like, yeah, a sandwich, a packet of crisps and a drink. Only three quid, but we all know. We all know yeah, yeah. you want a little bit more. Yeah. Now we've got you. We've got you with the meal deal. This is it. This is the greatest crime of the 21st century, isn't it? <laughs> we all know. We all know. It was, um, you know... Built-in obsolescence in light bulbs was the greatest crime of the 19th century. Greatest crime yeah. of the 20th century, 21st century is uh, Tesco's knowing that you you can't you can't you can't choose between ready salted walkers and a whisper. You have yeah, to have you've got to have, but, but it's the same with you now, Pete. You're locked in this house buying economy, yeah, where you've already spent so much money. You're just going to keep on spending it until it's, it's until it's done. Yeah, because once you move in, that's when the that's when the decorating starts. Oh, I just, I'm looking at things now on, on websites for, you know, pots of paint. And a tiny little voice in me goes... <laughs> Have you ever bought paint before, Pete? Um, oh, oh yeah, no, I've, I, yeah, absolutely. But the paint I usually buy is from Games Workshop. Yeah, you're going to have to buy a lot of that. Well, yeah. Oh, oh, your walls look lovely. What, what's this one? Oh, this is a bloodlust red. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think you'll find that our bedrooms be done in goblin green. <laughs> I just love the idea of him there with a tiny little miniatures paintbrush. Yeah, I'll be doing a wash and a dry brush later. No, but like I see these pots of paint on on websites, and you know it's like forty quid for for a big pot of paint. As 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 a homeowner, as me and Dan could probably attest to, as two homeowners, if you're looking at pots of paint on websites, they're then bound to be 40 quid a tub. Yeah. I don't, that's the thing, and that's the thing. Myself, myself and my partner, like, we are not, we're not, like, hands-on people, so we we are ripe for being ripped off. Like, like we are, we are a target. Okay, so yeah. do, do we need to introduce a feature of kind of this episode where Pete, every single episode comes to us with questions to make sure he's not being ripped off yeah yeah because because there is a sunk cost fallacy when it comes to buying a house where it's just like the solicitor could just come to you and just go yeah i need a fiver what for the um, uh, <laughs> admin fee yeah admin fee and you'd like well we've already spent thousands of pounds on the deposit or whatever we might as well just chuck another fiver in there and do you know what do you know what <laughs> do you know what galls me the worst about and we've got very good solicitors but do you know what galls me the absolute worst about soli- about our solicitors? Right. Mm, go on. They sent all of the deeds and the contracts and all that sort of stuff to us. 
second class. <laughs> I was no one's in a rush. I was absolutely livid. Couldn't even be bothered to send it first. Just thought I'll save a couple of pence here and there. <laughs> I was absolutely livid. And I felt like writing them a letter and then I realized it cost me another 40 quid to get a response. <laughs> Look, I don't want to be negative uh, all the time. I'm, I'm, I'm also sick of being negative, right? Okay, we're getting bored of it as well. To be exactly, honest. Yeah. exactly. I mean, it's, yeah. it's been like thirty odd years. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> right. Okay, yeah, that's true. <laughs> you were born negative. I, do you know what? I, yeah, I, uh, I, I don't. I, I, I'm not. I'm not writing that off as a possibility. Um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk about something lovely instead. Okay. Um, okay. Well, we always, we always do. We always talk about things that are lovely. What's the that's, point of complaining? It wastes your time. It wastes my time. Exactly. So what you're saying is, I've just wasted everybody's yeah. time by talking <laughs> for the last five ten minutes. So, um, all right. So one of the things that I love that I've been getting into over the last couple of years, as people have probably uh, uh, figured out by now, is I've been getting into role-playing games, and we've all mm. been getting into them in a, in into lesser and greater. You're welcome. It was you, wasn't it, that really basically kicked everything off, wasn't it, Dan? You know, I don't I don't want to toot my own horn, but toot toot, tooted toot. So um, <laughs> so I have been getting into... So the first RPG I ever played was with um, my uh, uh, with a friend of mine called Tom. And he introduced me to a game called Call of Cthulhu. We've talked about Call of Cthulhu here on the podcast before. Yeah, a lot. Um, yeah, a lot. Yeah. And, <laughs> he goes, oh, no, no. If he's not talking about house buying, he's talking on, about Call of yeah. Cthulhu. Right, exactly right. We well, can have one or the other. So... Um, so we talked about the solo adventures. Uh, what I'm gradually doing over time is increasing the player count. So it's all been solo adventures to begin with. And I'll, I'll, in the show notes, I'll chuck in some links to the previous episodes where we talked about that stuff. Um, and uh, now I've increased the player count to two. Oh, I, I know. Including, including you. Including me. So yeah. myself being the keeper and a friend of mine called Chris, uh, who you all know, he's on the podcast with us. I don't know if you've heard of him. All right, okay. The, the way you said that was incredibly strange. <laughs> yeah, you, you made it sound as if there was another friend. That was really good. Um, I've got a friend of mine called Chris. You know him. You know him. <laughs> he's not here today, you know him, but you I know, know him. him. Um, and um, the... Uh, uh, the it feels like a real return to my to the original to the to the time that I, I I first played an RPG with my friend called Tom who introduced me to Call of Cthulhu, um, because now I'm the role playing the role of the keeper. So um, in multiplayer Call of Cthulhu, which is mostly how you play uh, this game, certainly how it all started, you have two. Uh, you have two general roles. One is the keeper. I believe it's the keeper of forbidden law or something like that. Um, Probably. Something like that. Um, And essentially what it is is a GM... A DM, a referee. Those. It's the person who is who is running the. Uh, you know who's running. I've never the... heard it referred to as a referee. Never heard of it. Okay, so <laughs> yellow card. You misrolled. Okay, so okay, so referee is 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 a legit term for one of these kinds of people. But um, yeah, you're absolutely right. I, basically, me and I was running up up and, and you down. You mixing up role playing games with Sabuti. Ah, yeah. oh, the ultimate. Um. Uh, so I uh, got. Uh, uh, I, I, I've got the Call of Cthulhu starter set, um, and I've been meaning to crack it out for a while. So what it's got inside of it is not quite the full rules, but 
a lot of the rules, like basically 95% of what you need to run the game most of the time. And that, funnily enough, is actually what is in a lot of starter sets these days. Um, it's like there is a core rule book, which I've got lying around somewhere that's like three, 400 pages, however, however long it is. Um, but really, you can actually condense it down to a relatively short amount uh, in... No. Nice bit of foley here. Uh, the introductory rules, which is, I don't know, 24, 25 pages, 23 pages. So, and this this basically just gives you the, the it gives you the basics. How do you roll, like how do you, how do you run a game generally? How do you do combat generally? And it gives you some simple stuff for firearms and combat and investigation and all that good stuff and some characters. So, um, so the start set comes with that, those introductory rules. That is actually book two. Book one is Alone Against the Flames, which is a solo adventure, which is actually designed to teach you the game as you're, as you're playing as you're this playing. solo adventure, yeah, yeah. as a keeper. And then book three, which is a much chunkier book, which comes in the thing, uh, is called Paper Chase and Other Adventures. And um, Paper Chase is a one-on-one -on -one adventure, which I ran with Chris. Now, I'd never run Call of Cthulhu before and um, I was really apprehensive. So I got really apprehensive when I was running BFRPG back in back a year, a year and a half, two years ago now, uh, when we were playing uh, Basic Fantasy. Um, and I got really apprehensive about running this one because there's always a thing with me of like, am I running it wrong? Because you're basically the rules. As the, as the keeper, you are, mm. you're keeping the logic of this world together. And because of that, you need to be kind of rigorous. You, you don't have the... the uh, I suppose the the good fortune of like a board game whereby there is a rule book and it is exactly that and there is not really a lot of room for interpretation. In fact, you probably don't want interpretation of rules at all in board games all that much. Um, uh, whereas in RPGs, there's a lot of room for interpretation, but how much of that and, and, and where you put it is very much up for debate. So I was uh, a little bit apprehensive going into this, but Chris was very gentle with me. And um, we played, uh, so we played, can we know what Chris is like. He's just nice. He's just, oh, a, yeah, he's yeah, just yeah. nice. He have, no matter what would have happened. Exactly. Have it. it could have been, you know, a couple of hours of utter, utter you know, twaddle, but, um, and he would have been all right with it. So what it comes with is, is these scenarios and it also comes with some pre-filled in character sheets and some handouts. So uh, in the, previous time that I talked about this you, you might remember that you could photocopy out one of the pages and you got this little puzzle that you had to f cut out and fill in and do this kind of map puzzle thing that I was talking about well they're called handouts and uh, the handouts are also things that are very uh, popular in keeper and investigator games where you hand out let's say for example um, uh, an image of the front cover of a newspaper you'd hand that out and, and then your investigators would read it and go oh I wonder what all this means mm. um, so there's all that good stuff and the first adventure, Paper Chase, is, I think, one of the neatest pieces of um, introductory design that I've, 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 I've kind of had the good fortune of, of playing around with. It's a very small adventure. Um, it has to be because obviously it's, it's meant to be. It's meant to be short. It's run in one one setting. So I think this took us about two, maybe three hours. Not even, probably not even three. Uh, just me and Chris, and. It's about a. Uh, it's about a. It's about a person called Douglas Kimball, who is. Uh, he is a, and this is set in the 1920s, and it's about it's about a guy who basically goes dis who who disappears. A guy called uh, Douglas Kimball, and it's down to the investigator to find out what happened, 
why what happened to a burglary that happened in Douglas Kimball's house all this sort of stuff um, and it's a very small little adventure it's about four or five different areas of, that you can go and explore but it's really beautifully written it's really well put together it's a very short it feel it reminds me a lot of Lovecraft short stories um, in that there's a there are strange goings on you're in the town in kind of the middle of nowhere and the, it, it it just deals with the uncanny or the uh, the strange events occurring, not necessarily like you know massive cosmic horror, life changing things like that, but sort of slightly slightly unsettling events that kind of sit with you for a while. So the whole point of this uh, this 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 box set is to kind of get you into being a keeper and being investigators and understanding how the like what is the cadence of the of the gameplay but also from a from an investigator perspective but also from a keeper perspective how do you actually run these what 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 does call of cthulhu content actually look like how do you how do you read and understand the material so that you can keep enough of it in your head so that you can understand as a keeper, how the adventure needs to move forward and provide dramatic tension and description, all that sort of stuff. So, so, so is that is that really the the biggest difference between when you're playing it solo to when you're playing it? Because when you're playing it solo, I assume you're doing a lot of the same stuff that you were doing when you're playing it one on one, but you don't have to really worry about the the drama of the of how you're presenting it because for me that's a that's the biggest fun about being a mm-hmm. a dm or a gm or a referee mm-hmm. is yes you're the keeper of the rules but everyone around the table kind of knows the rules anyway and when you invest in an rpg and in a board game especially like you're not going out of your way to break those rules that's not really mm-hmm. the reason why you you want to play within those rules anyway mm-hmm. so i've always felt as the gm is it's more of a right What's the tempo of this part that they're playing? What is is the pace, the direction, and the drama in it? So is that, is that the big difference? Like yeah. injecting that into it rather than just playing through the rule set? Yeah, absolutely. Like it, what it means is that rather than there being you know words on a piece of paper that have been pre-written by somebody you know a few years ago that yeah. essentially provide the direction for your game experience. Instead, what happens is these adventures essentially give all of the information a keeper requires up front to provide to basically say okay this is the tone this is what's going to happen this is really what's happening you need to keep in mind that there's this twist here that there's that this person knows this and this and this here are some character hooks for how you might describe them and talk mm-hmm. about them the it means that yeah the keeper is basically describing the world rather than the in a solo adventure, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, one of the solo adventures that uh, we played, one of the against the series, um, that is entirely down to the writer, and it's much more of a kind of choose your own adventure sort of a thing. Um, yeah. And I think the interesting thing with it, um, I think the the folks who write um, a, 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 an RPG engine called um, uh, called Fate, they, I think the way they describe it is you're a director, so yeah, yeah, you yeah. have your yeah. actors. And it's a kind of like a, an old theatrical idea of like you you have your actors and 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 they're doing their own thing and they're definitely adding something massive to what it is that you've done. But you're kind of like the writer director in that you're you you're kind of helping them um, again find out what that tempo is, as you say, and what that tone is. So um, so we ran it and he's not here. 
So I can say he definitely really enjoyed it. Chris, <laughs> Chris he hasn't stopped he, talking about he it. He has had a lovely time uh, while playing. So um so it was really really fun and I think the 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 thing that I've that I've enjoyed with it the most it was me and it was Chris and it felt very appropriately intimate. You know mm. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like those kind of ghostly spooky horror stories especially the ones that i really like that uh, that lovecraft put together i've always kind of worried and i have not run it yet so i don't know how this how this might work out um myself um i've always wondered like how do you keep that feeling of tension and horror when you've got you know four of your you know your your pals who basically are wanting to kind of break the tension constantly Right, because if you've got four players with you and you're the keeper and and they're all kind of you know you're trying to provide tension, you naturally as a human being want to kind of break that tension, and it's really difficult to control that as a keeper when you've got like four people unless they're really really investing in this in 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 this in this activity, right? So, but when it was just me and Chris, whenever there was a moment, bless him, when he'd try and make a joke or something like that, I'd sort of like you know take the joke and then you know we'd, we'd enjoy that and then move on as quickly as possible. So that we could get back to that tension, um, which sounds like I was being a real fuddy duddy. Be like, yeah, it does. I was gonna yeah, say, yeah. It sounds like you'd be like, like school teacher. Like, no, pay attention. No. Fingers on lips. Um. So, uh. So, but, but it wasn't. And, and what it meant is it allowed us to break that tension as a kind of like side, almost like in brackets. Like we broke that tension, then we're like, okay, and then straight back in because that one-on-one dynamic is really interesting for that. Um. Uh, yeah, so I'm I'm really like excited to do more of that stuff, and it's kind of got me thinking a lot more about uh, about running things one on one. Because I've I've only ever done RPGs in groups. Uh, I think mm. the smallest I did I think was Sam, me, you, and Chris did uh, ten candles. That's a, that's the smallest one I've ever done. Yes. Um, uh, and so what what interests me in terms of perhaps more so with that one on one aspect is. One of the joys, I think, of when you're kind of DMing or that sense, and it's a joy both sides of it, especially when you find out later, is where kind of the people playing it go off on tangents that you weren't anticipating. And you have to kind of, on the spot, think it, come up with something, and then maybe for the next session, you've had to reevaluate, okay, the story's Mm. going in a different direction. With a one-on-one scenario, I imagine you don't really get a lot of that because you're in control a lot more that as you say if chris in the same way that he would make a joke to release attention if he took a step in the wrong direction you would fairly quickly be like no 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 no, just calmly just nudge him back onto the path that he's going on to but obviously not kind of breaking it's not like you there's a wall turn around <laughs> <laughs> but is is i mean do you is there any element of that of having of having to make up the story on the fly outside of what you've kind of pre-prepared yeah absolutely like so even with um uh, so one of the other good things about this this uh this box set is that it it especially the adventures they they have like little box outs that have bits of advice to to new gms so you could you could run this if you'd never run an rpg before um and it will say things like your players might go off on a bit of a tangent here um here are some things that you can do to get them back on track and it's okay all, that's good yeah right and it's all about it's not about railroading it's about uh, you know and like and I think for me railroading is where you um, uh, 
somebody suggests an idea and uh, you kind of like an improv, you just shut it down immediately, right? Yes, yeah, it's, it's not yes and, it's no... Yeah, yeah. No but or whatever. Right. And yeah. and I think that the the the... The, the difference between that I experienced running this as a one-on-one thing is I actually had to be quicker on the draw with Chris's ideas because there wasn't... Because basically, and again, I, I'm sure like um, uh, old school GMs will, will kind of agree on this. Basically, uh, what you do as a GM when you're running a game and people think, oh, I'm going to go off in this direction and do blah, 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 blah. As a GM, one of the easiest tricks you can do is kind of lay down this idea and let let you, all of your players just squabble amongst themselves about figuring out where it is that they really want to go next. So if somebody was really going to go off piste, the others probably know that they they're they're actually wanting to go down this other route, and you can just let them go for it. And you you get a bit more time to be able to think, okay, I need to come up with some some something yeah, to, yeah. to kind of come up with. Whereas Chris's was much more immediate. You know, you need to be able to come up with something a little bit quicker. And again, having that kind of confined space. And again, Call of Cthulhu works really well for these kinds of things. Lovecraftian adventures of like, you're in a small town. It's the 1920s. It's very difficult to get from A to B. There's no communication with the outside world. Like all of that sort of stuff really helps with the scope of the game in that way. And it just means that the the flow of play combined with the genre that it's in of horror that one-on-one thing just seems to work really, really nicely for mm. that, um, which I which I was really, really impressed with. You know, and and it's yeah, I was just really, really blown away. I think it is probably uh, this kit is is absolutely phenomenal. It costs like twenty quid or twenty five quid, and it came with all the things that I'd need to like run run all the adventures. Got some dice, got some handouts, got pre pre filled in investigators. What a blessing! Because you can just hand them out. You don't have to sit around for 45 minutes while people come up with backstories. You just say, no, you're this person. No. No. <laughs> you're this person. You're this person. <laughs> so what, what's next then in that book? Because obviously Dan and I didn't get this invite. So no. we, had, no, <laughs> we had no choice. So you've done, you've done solo. You've done one-on-one. Yep. So is there a next, like, this may be a stupid question, but is there a next evolutionary step on from that, which is two on one are you going to have a Sophie's Choice moment of having to choose between me and Sam is the, is the question we're, we're yeah saying. it is yeah or do you or do you drop Chris true well that could be really interesting I would ne- I, I would I would never drop Chris and you know that um, <laughs> the, um, so what I can do is as a, as a keeper I can run Paper Chase again for both of you so you can play it one on one you can also play it uh, with one keeper and two investigators if you want to. I, I don't that want Chris's kind of hand-me-downs well, um, <laughs> or you can also go on to the second scenario, which is called Edge of Darkness, which is suitable for two to five investigators and a keeper. And again, okay. it's that next level of like, okay, you're going to have a little bit more space to play around with. There's going to be some handouts now. So we're going to introduce you to how those handouts work. Um, we're going to, uh, you know. I just love how Pete says, are they actually called handouts in the book? Because that's what they used to be called in primary school. I believe they're called handouts. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you get your uh, Egyptian king's handout, uh... yeah, yeah. This is, well, that's exactly it. It's, yeah, no, you know what? I'm looking at it. It's called a handout, um, <laughs> and um, basically in it, um, uh, you know, it, there's like lots of information. Like one of the one of the things here is like a letter to somebody, and and you would literally yeah. hand it over. So the, the the keeper has nothing to do with it. They just hand it over, and they just say, "There you go. You you get this letter." That's really cool. It I is like that. really neat. So, 
So is the whole aim of the starter set, and apologies if you've already covered this, is by once you've gone through all that material, mm-hmm. as a keeper mm-hmm. and as a group of players, you can all then go, right, we know how we would play the full, full fat Call of Cthulhu. So uh, as players, yes, you basically have pretty much everything that you that you would need to your uh, 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 to hand. As a keeper, no. You don't have access to the full rules here. The full rule book for 7th edition is, like I say, about three, maybe 400 pages. The things that aren't covered, I believe, I believe chases are not covered. So there are very specific rules for how you do chases that are covered in the 7th edition core book. But you're not actually missing out on anything. It's not like a substandard experience because of it. You would just, uh, you know, uh, as a as a GM or a keeper or whatever, you would use your, like, f- it's often called fiat. You would use your fiat to... Uh, <laughs> drive away. To drive your away. Fiat 500. So, so basically, somebody comes up with an idea, you get in the fiat and sod off because you haven't got an idea. Um, so um, it, the idea is basically that you, because you control the world, well, you can just say, like, uh, I don't know, um, roll a d6, one to two, it does this, four through six, it does this. Okay. So... Um, I would say you can probably get, you know, a hundred hours into your Call of Cthulhu experience by the time that like you have basically exhausted the rules in the starter set and you probably want to move on and use the core book. This mm. starter set is more than enough for you to go, oh, this is cool, or this isn't for me. It's interesting when you, you know you talk about this game as if you talk about Call of Cthulhu and especially the starter set about you know, a great way of introducing people to playing an RPG. Yep. And I feel like they're, especially with some of the, like, the board games that we've been um, kindly sent, that there is, like, seems like there is a big push to thinking about games that do that, that provide, like, an introductory experience to certain things. Like, we've covered a, a lot of them recently on the podcast, like Celtic, and we talked about like Little Factory the other week. What was that one that was like the smaller version of a big one that you liked? And it was about a lion or something. It was called like Lions of Something, I want to say, and it was like a, a, a smaller version of a massive like Gloomhaven esque oh, oh, kind of thing. Jaws of the Lion. Jaws of the Lion. There you go. Yeah, which is like a which is like an introductory version of of Gloomhaven. Right. Um, See, so. so I feel like that's just like a, like a nice little trend. And, you know, I've got this, um, as you both will, will know, my, um, my, my board game collection is very well logged and catalogued. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a, um, and I do try to keep it to quite a, a slim sort of size. Do you? But there, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I try to keep it. How many you got now? Uh, 91. Slim size. Nice and compact little collection there. <laughs> just the essentials. Yeah, but it used to be over a hundred. So I mean, that's only that's only nine away from where you are now, sir. <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm not a monster. Oh no, not over a hundred. I've got ninety-one, but some of them are very small. And size doesn't matter, Sam. But yeah, but there but there's one area which isn't counted in terms of the games that I own, which is a big box I've got upstairs in my loft, and I call um, this big box the box of the box of hope promise because basically this is a big box i'm going to get down for my son when he um, gets a little bit older and it's basically filled with games that i think 
will be really appropriate for him as like an introduction into board games. Cool. And I've actually made a new addition to this because a game that we got sent from WizKids recently is a Dungeons and Dragons game. Ooh. And again, I think this game might be a really, really good way. You say Call of Cthulhu is a really good way of showing people how to run an RPG and play one, but Mm. I think this is a really good way of like, you know, one step before that of introducing people to what is just Dungeons and Dragons. Huh. And like the characters within it and kind of in a roundabout way, kind of what the gameplay kind of is and what to expect. So this is called Dungeons and Dragons Dungeon Scrawlers, Heroes of Under Mountain. That is a good name. <laughs> that is a very good name. And I and I and I realize I'm gonna butch this, but this is this is from this was sent to us from WizKids, um, and it's by Vangelis Bagiotakis and Konstantinos Karagianis. Yep. Um they designed it. And it's not and when you're thinking of an indu- introduction to RPG. Yep especially Dungeons and Dragons, it's actually has none of what you would consider the traditional gameplay of an RPG well, in it. because Dungeons and Dragons has actually a bit of a history of having introductory products to their line of Dungeons and Dragons, right? So, like, originally they had came up with BX, which was called Basic and Expert, and that was all about getting new people into the game. It was kind of like mm-hmm. a, a, a tweaked, cleaned-up version of, of Dungeons and Dragons uh, in the late 70s, I think it was. They did a board game, I think, for second, for advanced, and I think for third. Yeah. And they've never quite, apart from BX, I don't think they've ever quite satisfactorily got that feeling of Dungeons and Dragons across, particularly I mean particularly well or anything like that. So how do they because I'm looking at the cover art for this thing and it looks plush. I love mm-hmm. it. It's 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 like grid paper and maps, which makes me go, yeah. yes, this is the good <laughs> stuff. Um so 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 how does it actually like introduce people to D D? So I think one of the things that it does it, it is that it's it's definitely going after a much, much, much younger audience okay. um, than those products that you mentioned previously. Mm-hmm. So on the box, it says 10 plus. I mean, I would maybe go a bit younger than that. I think like an eight-year-old, seven-year-old might, might you know, cope with this really well. Okay. And there's a, there's a video of me just like basically unboxing it and explaining the rules all within a 30-second reel on Instagram, which also explains why I, I think it's like a great introductory hmm. um, game. Because all you do is you um, get this big box and the box is full of all these um, dry wipe maps. And you pick a map, you pick a hero out of, these, uh, of, out of a group of... Um, uh, four or five heroes, I think it is. And then you pick a pen and you basically just draw and you you race the other players. Um, so it's real time. So you race each other going around this dungeon, um, filling and interacting with objects within the room. And it's a race, especially on the first map, to be the first one to kill the boss at the end. And then once that's complete, you kind of exchange maps with the person to your left and you mark them and you see how well they've done and basically count at the victory points and 
and that's it. That's whoever gets the most victory points wins. So are you doing two different maps in that scenario? No, everyone's doing the same map. Oh, so you've got have you got multiples of each map? So there's so there's ten different maps, but there's four copies of each of those oh, okay. maps. So everyone around the table has the same map in front of them. Like the maps are these uh, maze-like uh, creations in which there are these rooms where there are these things that you basically interact with. Mm. So the rules are you can basically, once you start drawing, you can't stop. You can't take your pen off the sheet. You can go over lines that you've previously done, but you can't take your pen off. You can't go through walls and end up in a new room. You are allowed to touch walls. So it's not completely like, you know, you're not going to get punished if you start like hitting walls or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And then the aim of the game is to basically just go from room to room encountering with everything within the room. If you miss an object within a room, you get penalised at the final scoring. So you've got to, you can't just like race through rooms missing stuff. You've got, if you enter a room, you've got to encounter the elements that are in it. And they may be a monster. And so you defeat a monster by just colouring it in really, really quickly. (laughs) It could be a piece of treasure and you collect the treasure by drawing all the way around it. It could be a spell and a spell is usually depicted as this like squiggly little line and basically you just trace along the line and that's it. You've you've, like cast that spell. It could be a group of rune stones which are usually numbered between one to six and you've got to basically create a pathway from like one to two, three to four, five to six, and then that's it, that you're done, and then you can go and leave the room. And yeah, it just, it, it's it's like, there's nothing here that's that's dramatically like, it's not going to change my world of gaming. Like I am not the target and we are not the target audience for, for, for this kind of product. Like it's incredibly simple. They, there's, a, there's a few things that, that, that complicate the recipe and like, uh, in later maps, there are keys that you have to find before you can go through certain doors. And there's orbs that you can find that if you're the first person to find that orb, you'll get more points than the other players around the table um, and all this kind of stuff. And there are some maps that um, basically you're in them for a limited time and it's who gets the most points. There are other maps like the first one that you play that it's the first one to complete the, the big mo- boss monster who... To defeat them, you have to scribble them all out and they're like huge. They're like a massive part of the map. And it was really fun when I was playing this with my wife and we had no idea where each of us was until we heard this like... All this like frantic scribbling. She was like, I'm done. I was like... It's like so close to... And then there are these heroes that you pick before you enter the map, which give just enough flavour to how heroes operate within the world of Dungeons and Dragons as well. So if... So, for example, a barbarian, to kill a goblin, they only have to colour in the head. A wizard, to cast a spell, only has to draw a circle in the outline of the spell in order to move on. A rogue only needs to pass through a piece of treasure to pick it up. It doesn't need to draw, draw around it. And I think for a younger audience, there's so much in this game to start that conversation of you know what is dungeons and dragons who are these characters mm. and to help them understand that what playing a game like dungeons and dragons would be it's obviously not a race and obviously you're not just like coloring in goblins to get rid of them but that 
that feeling of entering a space, not knowing which direction to go, knowing that there's some um, some sort of ominous big bad that you're heading towards, some sort of arc to your adventure, but that it's all about discovery and mishaps along the way. It, I think I think it's just got a lot of value and a lot to offer. That that kind of you know, in terms of a, a real solid introduction for re- reasonably young people. Mm. As as you're as you're talking, I'm I'm looking in in depth at these pictures, trying to imagine imagine myself playing it. So as far as I'm aware, it is it is just kind of when you talk about being a race. There's no um, element of movement around the board outside of just you moving the pen at your own speed. So you obviously you could take your time with it if you wanted to. Um, is there a is there a single route to the end goal, or is it one of these things where you can go in? There's always a way through depending on which way you're going. There's always like, obviously there will be some dead ends, but um, how complex is it in terms of always giving you um, a, a way out? There's no like defined one way through. The, 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 the maps themselves are designed for you to get lost within, really. And again, that, but that, that's the beauty of it. That's like understanding what Dungeons and Dragons is. It's like, you know, you're presented with a dungeon there might be a route that could be the easier, preferable route, but you're you're never really going to know that. So you might let your character sort of define what routes that you want to take. Mm-hmm. So, for example, like a cleric might be attracted to rooms where there's more spells inside them because they know they're going to get through those rooms a bit quicker. But that might lead them to a bit of a, a stickier path later on. Like in later maps, there are certain objects. When you interact with them, they allow you to teleport across to another side of the map. So it might be that you you look towards those to interact with those things so you can give yourself a bit of a jump to somewhere later on in the map. Or like in other ones, you know there are going to be some where you're going to have to work towards the keys. So as you're sort of wandering around and moving around the map, you're looking around to see where keys are and trying to sort of most reverse engineer the path that you need to take to get them. Yeah, it's it's really adaptable and flexible, and I think it's you know it's definitely going up into my loft of great things for my son to play <laughs> when he's a little bit um, when he's a little bit older. I had a wonderfully healthy lunch today. No, you didn't, Dan. You had a you had a meal. Didn't no, you? no, I didn't. Uh, I didn't because I was I was having to work from home today, but uh, I also had. Um, my littlest one wasn't very well, so I had to have her at home with me, so I couldn't really leave the house. Uh, so I rummaged through the cupboards, and I ended up having for my lunch uh, two bags of oven-baked Walker's crisps uh, and a pack of mini cheddars. That was nice. my lunch. Okay. Very beige. Very, very beige. <laughs> because we do our, we do our shopping on a Monday kind of evening. So that it like Monday daytime is like when the cupboards are the most bare. Mm-hmm. So I've had like a very unhealthy lunch break today. I had a today I had a tofu wrap with um with hummus because I am about as middle class as you can get. <laughs> that was it. I had a pot noodle and a pack of jelly beans for my lunch the other day. Ooh, that's which nice. was um that's nice. it's two courses. You're fine. Uh exactly. Um but my lunch breaks are like they are quite sacred for me because they are when I now get most of my gaming done. And the one that's been filling most of that bar recently has been Disco Elysium. Um, 
which Ooh. recently came out on a Switch. I've been waiting for it to come out on the Switch for a long, long while because I knew that due to present circumstances, that was going to be the best way I knew I was going to be able to dedicate a significant amount of time that I knew that you needed to play this game um, in. Yeah. Pete, Pete had a Pete had a visual reaction to you saying the words Disco Elysium. He kind of like... I didn't watch ooh, him. What was it? Ooh. Just kind of like up in his... Ooh. Sitting on a hot bowl of custard. Yeah, very, very so that, much. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hot. A uh, little bit surprising and very, very sweet. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, I have been playing Disco Elysium for the last year. Uh, get, <laughs> getting, about, getting about an hour in maybe every month. So this is a, 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 a computer role-playing game, specifically a CRPG, uh, part mm. of that like Baldur's Gate, Icewind Dale... Uh, and actually, I guess probably most appropriately, uh, Planescape Torment, because this is a this is a an RPG that is uh, if it had been made twenty years ago, it would have been isometric, uh, and it's very it's very kind of based on tabletop role playing game rules. Uh, in fact, I believe the creator actually created these using a knockoff version of one of uh, Dungeons and Dragons from his home country. Um, to create this world, the the, uh, the very strange world uh, of, of Disco Elysium, um, and I, I'm basically saving it for Christmas now. I basically have said, okay, I'm going to pause on this, and I'm just going to mm. go through it in one go because I haven't felt it's an incredibly well written, incredibly good game that I. Do not want to play. Okay, why not? I'm never. I'm never in the mood. I'm. I. I. Whenever I. Whenever I think to myself, got an hour here. Got a couple of hours here. You know. Oh, what shall I do? I never think to myself. Oh, you know what fantasy I would like to play. I would like. I would like to. I would like to enjoy the fantasy of being an alcoholic amnesiac cop. Like, I never think that. I never think to myself, oh, do you know what world I'd like to go into? A land of absolute abject poverty and violence. Like, mm, I just well. I just never think those things. And it's not because I don't think they're worth exploring. I really want to do it. I really want to go and play that game and be in that world for a bit and really enjoy it and really love it because it is really, really good. Like, don't get me wrong, it is really, really good. But it, for me personally, I always find it difficult, really challenging to watch movies about that kind of stuff, engage with content in that kind of way, just because I'm just like, oh, I just, you know what? I just want to play Skate 2 again. Like, that's that's basically just where where I'm often at. That's your answer for everything, though, Pete. Yeah, and I think you're, yeah, I think you're doing the game a little bit of a disservice there, in a way, because even though, yeah, it is set in this very sort of downtrodden um location and you are playing this alcoholic cop who on the surface may not actually be the most likable character mm -hmm. i think for me why i'm picking it up every single lunch break is that i'm just fascinated by what that character now is to me and how i've basically created this character mm -hmm. and the amount of directions you can basically create a person i mean it's it's I just think it's just a staggering 
piece of work that everyone needs to um, play at some point because I think that I was just bowled over by how how creative and how much personality is in it. Like having played like, you know, role-playing games before where you might get, you know, one or two options of being, do you take like, you know, the 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 good route or the bad route through this problem? Like here it seems to be filled with thousands and thousands of different possibilities for how you can essentially play as this as this cop Mm -hmm. it seems like every single facet of his character has been laid out and put in front of you to kind of play with and how it implements and guides you to start with to to playing i also think is 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 ingenious like i remember texting you like a few days ago pete going like should i read a guide of how all this works or shall i just like trust the game that i will learn how this all works and you rightly said just just trust it and i'm so glad i'd never really looked at like a top 10 things i wish we knew about Uh, disco elysium before playing it'll ruin it um because just trusting in that has been just like the most profitable experience as i've learnt like what these whole like suite of like personalities and how they all like benefit you and affect you negatively like the first thing you try and do is try to um interact with uh this dead body mm-hmm. and i've got the character i built had very low endurance so he's <laughs> at the moment he can't investigate the body because every time he does he has to roll this basically like a, what is like an endurance test of whether he can keep the vomit in or not and at the moment i i failed about three or four times and then these there's this group of these two little kids who keep laughing at me because i can't i can't pass this check so i'm having to find ways to increase my endurance so i can just do my job and investigate this body whilst also being like humiliated at the same time mm. and just that process has introduced me into right okay so this is how i upgrade things these are the things i can do to gain experience all right so if i put points into here just like an rpg it means that i'm increasing my chances i'm going to pass certain certain skills checks and i just find uh, just all that kind of stuff is absolutely absolutely fascinating Mm. and i just think that you really do do it do you are doing the game a bit disservice by just saying like interacting i can understand why the world is not necessarily pleasant to be within Mm -hmm. but just how the the playground that this world is is just just fascinating i'd I'd love oh it's oh it's absolutely incredible and and uh it's it's a world i really want to be a part of it's just a case of like getting trying to get into the right headspace to enjoy it because it's not something you can just kind of i'll just casually play a bit of disco elysium um for me for me it's not that um also uh like let's talk about um i I, and we'll only talk about one of the characters because i think they're 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 an absolute joy to discover and i think most people uh uh, um who were super into have kind of probably heard about this character now um kuno is kuno kuno is quite possibly my favorite written character in all of video games uh I hate him. Like I've ne- I like it is I I didn't think I could hate a child this much. Uh, and yet the writing is so good. It's yeah. 
it's so and shocking. Like there are bits where there are bits where um, it's very very rare, but sometimes you'll play a video game that will make you feel uh, like they're dangerous in the way that when you were young you would listen to like music and think it was dangerous, right? Yeah. Like and Disco Elysium has moments of danger. In the language, there is an ultra aggressiveness, but it doesn't come from a like, um, from a like trying to be edgy kind of perspective. It comes from some legitimately horrid, brilliant, evocative writing that is really yeah. like when you experience it for the first time. And there's literally a moment. I think it's uh, it, it's close to the moment that you're talking about, Sam, with the yeah, with the body. Yeah. There's bits of that that made me feel incredibly uncomfortable in a really satisfying kind of a way of a like oh this is quite special yeah there 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 is there is also within the first few hours like you encounter people who are physically like hostile and also people who are outwardly racist mm. and um xenophobic and it really catches you a little bit off guard because you don't know really how how you're going to interact with them and it re and again it's part of that tutorializing because it's not like you're not given an option where it's just like well what you said is bad and we're going to take you in and like arrest him uh, it's the response you give makes you really think about what kind of character you're going to be playing as going forward yeah. like there's not like there's not an option there which is like this is bad or this is good in fact, I don't think there's an even the option when you encounter this racist that that says like, "Yes, I agree with you, thumbs up." I think there's one which is like basically like ignore it, or there's one which is like get really hostile and aggressive, or yeah. there's other like. But there's so much, there's so much nuance to it that even that even ignoring it feels like it has some sort of ramifications. Yeah. Like that is going to affect the relationship that you have with your with your partner, but also the relationship that you have with this central this central character. I guess the best way to put it is whenever I've played a game like Mass Effect or The Witcher, like I always skew the nice guy yep. because I like to believe I am a nice guy and it and it and the options of being the bad guy are so um against my own nature but also seem very very like aggressive and mm, unnecessarily so unnecessarily so and difficult to pass that i always end up going down one direction or over the over the arc of my experience with these characters like with commander shepherd i will always tend towards um, Paragon, right? Because because the choices you choose in the language are this is what the good person would say Whereas yeah. Disco Elysium is not interested in saying this is what a good person would say. Yeah. So you've really got to question. You can't rely on your own moral compass in those situations. Because not only are they situations that you've probably never found yourself in, um, but the nuance and the writing within it is so well detailed and deep that you have to think about you have to strip yourself away from it and go, right, I don't know how to answer this question, but how would the character answer this question? <laughs> I was uh, I was in hospital the other day. Oh, yeah? Who was putting what where? 
uh, uh, unlike this is a bit north of the border than my previous um, experiences, uh, which is good. Um, But met some lovely people and had a really great day out. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. I left with I left with less than I came in with, which was actually you know the aim of the procedure. So Good. excellent stuff. And um, <laughs> whilst I was waiting there, I'll bring you around the drinks trolley, and this guy got served before me. Ma- Martini, sir. <laughs> the NHS has gone. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You see, this is it. <laughs> this this is liberal socialism in action. Since we left the EU, now we can serve alcohol. <laughs> yeah, that's what we spent that two hundred million on, isn't it? <laughs> so the guy before me was like, "Yeah, I'd love a cup of tea," and he'd been in hospital longer than I had, like a couple of weeks, I think. So he's like, "Oh, can I have a couple of biscuits as well?" I was like, "Oh yeah, right, okay." So the lady comes to me and says, "Oh, what would you like?" I said, "Could I just have some more water, please?" And I'd love a couple of digestives. And then she went, "All right." Okay. And I was like, oh no, what have I what have I done? Oh no. <laughs> what have I asked for? Oh my goodness. And uh and she said and and to be honest, this is this is something that I think I should employ throughout my whole life. She said, You can have some biscuits, but only if you have a banana as well. And I was like, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so Fair play to the them. The power, the power that that person had over you. That's, yeah, that's fantastic. Exactly. And I felt like because I was in the hospital, I had to eat the fruit. Yeah. <laughs> I felt judged. Like I had to be seen to be doing the right thing. Have you ever thought about like additional uses for bananas? Like, a, like <laughs> so. <laughs> bear with me. You're not talking about mellow yellow. Probably no. not. Uh, what I'm, what I'm, what I'm talking about is mashing up bananas, right? All right, right? okay, yeah. Sure. I, I've always felt that there's an untapped potential in the mashed banana, right? What, what do you mean? Well, it feels like it's, it would, it makes, a, it would make a good sort of mortar to the bricks of other foods. Well, I, I just think that, like, you know, when you get things like, um, like Philadelphia cheese spread, right? And you think to yourself. I could put that on anything, right? I could put Philadelphia cheese on basically, and like, right? So, like, oh, vegetables. I could, I could slip it over the top, right? Uh, I could, yeah. I could dunk, I could dunk a carrot in it and eat it like that. I could put it yes. on toast. I could do all these different things. The point is, the point is that Philadelphia can be used in many, many ways. That's the savoury version. Okay. Yeah, we get yeah. it. You get it. Yeah. You, you follow it. me. Yeah. So you're so basically what you're wanting is you want someone to produce a pot of mashed up banana that you can spread on stuff. I want a sweet Philadelphia. That's what I want. <laughs> you want I can't believe it's not banana. Utterly banana Utterly. Utterly banana Nearly. There's something there. Nearly. Workshop it. That's... Bring it back. So there we go. That was staying in with myself, Sam Turner. There was Peter Willington, and there was also Daniel Frost. We uh, really, really appreciate you taking the time to listen to the games and the experiences and the things that we are bringing to you. We genuinely don't bring anything on this show unless we think that um, you will like it too. Uh, that's what the show is all about, is just sharing lovely things with you, the, the lovely listener. That it, it sounds disingenuous, but really... 
it's what this show is all about and it brings me a massive smile on my face um just sharing that with you it's no secret it's no lie um we just want you to have a good time with the people that you love and that you like around you and maybe just some good time um, um spent on your own as well uh, the things that we talked about on this podcast were many and varied there was dungeons and dragons dungeon scrawlers heroes of under mountain an excellent introductory into the world of dungeons and dragons i reckon great for some kids um that you may have in the family or maybe 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 a good present for christmas just around the corner uh, uh. Um, also uh, the Call of Cthulhu starter set and also we spoke about the uh, the astounding uh, Disco Elysium as well if you'd like to get in touch with us you can do it at any point we're on Twitter we're on Facebook we are on Instagram just search for at staying in pod we also uh, have an email address staying in pod at gmail.com if you'd like to just send us a message maybe you've got a recommendation for us once in a while huh we'd love to see what it is that you're enjoying and what you're loving and for you to share that with us would be a really super treat if you are instantly actually looking for a recommendation for something for christmas either a gift that you can get for someone uh who you particularly like uh, or maybe you're looking to get something as a treat over christmas you know you've got a bit of a break got a bit of time on your hands would like to introduce the family into a new game or maybe just to play something on your own then we have curated pages on board game geek and also on steam so there's a host of board games and video games out there that we um, love that we will recommend that you play too and also links to the podcast that they're mentioned on so you can have a little bit of background see if it's something that you will enjoy uh, but for now that's it from us take care goodbye ta-ra